Hello, and welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash. Thanks for joining us. My name's Dawn, and I'm the editor of Cash Alumni. And in this episode, we're talking skills and CPD with Talia. Talia, can you introduce yourself, please? My name is Talia Galloway. Uh, I'm an e-learning development lead at e-learning for you. Fabulous. Um, and what do e-learning for you do? We produce online training through a customizable learning management system. Brilliant, thanks. And do you find that you get a lot of buy-in within care um, in terms of further training? Because in my experience, a lot of people aren't really there for themselves. They're, they're there to support other people. And because okay. they see personal development as a personal thing, it goes to the bottom of their list. Absolutely, most definitely. I think that you've got a lot of people who are um, looking to support those around them. They're not uh, prioritizing themselves and uh, they are they are there for the people that they support, which is absolutely fantastic. And quite often we come across learners who have been uh, encouraged to go into that sort of role because of their own personal experience with supporting a loved one. And, uh, and they don't realize that the uh, learning that can go alongside it can help them professionalize majorly. It's obviously all to be for the benefit of the people they're supporting. It shouldn't just be the self, uh, the self gratification of receiving a certificate, although that is also very important and I wouldn't take away from that. Um, but I think it's important that they realize that you are developing your own knowledge to benefit the individual in front of you. Um, so if we think about maybe taking uh, a dementia course, it might be that the individual you're supporting has um, a not very advanced level of dementia at the moment, so they're um, quite early on uh, with their dementia journey and you're thinking okay I wonder what I could do to support but by taking a course now and thinking about all of the potential things that could come up and the different scenarios that you could face actually you're better planned and prepared to support that individual as their dementia journey um, develops and potentially gets more complicated. Yeah that, that, that again makes total sense and, and sounds like a great reason to do stuff like that. You were talking specifically about dementia there and I know that that's something that for a lot of people is quite a scary thing to cover. Um, do you think that doing something like a, a course in dementia and understanding that a little bit more can make it less scary um, in terms of figuring out how someone can live well with that condition? Absolutely I do. Uh, I think that it can be really scary to come across an individual uh, with their experience of dementia and how they might be presenting and you might um, you might be quite upset and distressed by it yourself but by understanding the bits that go behind it you can then start to maybe picture and understand why they're presenting in this way and how you can best support them to, to live well um, and not stopping them from living as they are uh, it could be something that's I don't know, maybe an agitation that we're not able to pick up on, or even something uh, as serious as social disinhibition in the middle of the care home living room. And you would like to know some steps to help dealing with that um, and how you can support them to, to live well, but uh, without causing too much distress to themselves uh, if they had their capacity or to others. That sounds great. And that's, to be honest, that sounds like something that a lot of people might benefit from, not just people who work in health and social care? I think so. I think uh, there are more and more organisations out there who are paying attention to how 
I think particularly with capacity and awareness around uh, disability or uh, awareness around dementia um, and thinking about how we can best support those people in our community. So a lot of shops now, for example, are thinking about how can we train our staff so that they know how to inter interact with this person. Um, this person is struggling, let's say, to identify the correct money to, to pass over in the shop and they're getting quite agitated by that. How can I support them with that? Or this person's walked into the, to the uh, library and they're completely disorientated. Can I help them maybe find their way? And having the confidence to, to think about how to deal with those sorts of things. Yeah, I recently did some um, dementia friends training um, with the Alzheimer's Society. Um, and actually there was a, a lot of stuff that came up in that that I had no awareness of. Um, though I've worked in, in roles where I've looked after people in the past. So um, it was really helpful to consider things from the point of view of the person who, who has dementia um, and think about those sort of differences um, in how they might react to different situations based on that difference in cognition. Um, yeah. But you mentioned uh, the idea around capacity um, and I know that that's something where there's, there's, there's quite a lot of confusion about capacity, um, both from general members of the public um, but also from people working in care and roles. Um, some of the practice that I've seen um, when I've worked in homelessness, for example, um, was contrary to the ideas that um, are presented in things like the deprivation of liberty safeguards. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the key things that people maybe get wrong is the idea that if someone lacks capacity in one situation, it might actually be that they've got capacity in a different sort of scenario. Yeah, and we know that the area of the mental capacity is, is, is huge, which is why we've had a massive amendment bill go through um, go through Parliament this year. And uh, we're looking to, we're still waiting for documentation on how, uh, what guidance is going to come out for us to support implementing the Liberty Protection Safeguards, the revised name for the Deprivation of Liberty Safeguards, um, because of these concerns around people being deprived of their liberty, not having their liberty safeguarded. Uh, notice how they flipped it into the positive there. Um, it's a big thing and I think that there are definitely people, many, many people, um, both in health and social care as well as out, who don't know how to implement walking in and thinking, I must start with the, the concept that this person has capacity every time, even though for the last 50 days I've asked them if they want tea or coffee, they've not been able to answer my question. I need to open with the fact that they are going to be able to answer that question. And when they're struggling, I'm going to support them with those choices um, and not just making the decision for them. Yeah, and do you think that sort of continually updating knowledge is, is important with things like that because of how quickly legislation and sort of just the amount of knowledge that we have about those things changes? Absolutely. I mean, so the Mental Capacity Act originally came out uh, 2005 and since then it's changed it's morphed it's become bigger things we've had some landmark rulings and as I say we've now got this amendment bill that's come through this year it changes so much and we're still unable to implement it to the best of our ability and that's the thing is we're, we're continually learning with capacity 
how much we can do to support those individuals. So for me, it's one of those topics that it doesn't matter how many times you've done it. There's always a new perspective. There's always a new sort of case study you could look at or a new way of arguing uh, that that is a deprivation of liberty and how can we protect that better? What other things can we do to support this individual in order to, um, to have the best outcomes for them and help them live well? And for, the, for that topic, I think there has to be continual learning. It's, it's never a case of I know, I know the things. Whereas I suppose if you were learning something about medication, it might be that you're learning about a particular medication because it's a, a drug that's maybe issued uh, for pain relief. So it might be we're talking about paracetamol and you might think I know loads and loads about paracetamol. I understand the contraindications with it. I understand how it works. I know the overdose amount and so on and so on. Um, but actually with mental capacity, it, it changes so much. You know, paracetamol is paracetamol. It's, it's only ever going to be paracetamol. Whereas capacity is fluctuating and the law around it is constantly evolving and adapting to be able to promote well-being the best. That, that's great. Um, obviously, capacity is one of those areas that, that we think everyone should be up to date with. And you mentioned medication as well. Is there anything else that you think is sort of a, a must in terms of CPD if you're working in a care setting? There's all so many musts. Uh, with the capacity, it all comes down to safeguarding. And when with, with medication even, it's about the safeguarding of those individuals to make sure that I'm not uh, over-medicating in a dangerous way, that we're making sure that any contraindications are picked up so that they're safeguarded. So I think it all interlinks, but we've got many of these different titles. You know, so we've got a title like Dignity and Respect. How can I try and promote that the best? Um, if we're looking at... Uh, information governance or data protection or whatever title we want to try and give it and looking at how the GDPR is implemented um, or the Data Protection Act as it's now been legislated in the UK is implemented uh, here and relates to care records and making sure they're kept safe and I think that we'll see it continue with anything that's been legislated like safeguarding like data protection there are going to be amends in those laws as we identify more things so we know we've got those of landmark rulings about data breaches and how we need to ensure that those are protected against and the reporting procedures. And every time companies should be scrutinizing their privacy policy and making sure that their staff are aware of the privacy policy. Um, and I think that's the same with safeguarding. As I say, it might be a case of uh, identifying that actually this is a concern with safeguarding at the moment and uh, this is an area we need to focus on. Uh, so. So many topics, <laughs> so many things that go into supporting somebody to live well. Yeah, and, and I think people sort of forget that when they talk about care. I think people think that care work is mostly about keeping people company and making mm. sure that they're clean. Mm. Um, I don't necessarily think that everybody listening to this podcast um, will understand the, the sort of depth of knowledge that's required in a care role, especially because it is possible to enter a care role without any qualification. Um, yeah. I mean, is that something that you see in what you do in terms of capability or people being able to, to do that job at a level really where it, 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 it should be more sort of legislated for that people need to have a certain level of qualification? It's a, it's a very interesting uh, discussion to have. Um, I think the importance is around 
values-based recruitment and ensuring that you're recruiting the right type of person into the role in health and social care. And from there, you can then support them with their learning journey. We've obviously seen the implementation of the care certificate in England. Uh, Wales are about to enforce the All Wales induction framework, which is much more comprehensive, in-depth and a longer uh, qualification than the care certificate. Um, and I think that that goes a much deeper strides than what we're, our minimum expectation is here in England. Equally in Wales and in Scotland, there is a need for those practitioners to be on a register, unlike here in England. And I think that it's about making sure that we're safeguarding ourselves. It could be a case that you've got great organizations out there who are working with the likes of cash in order to ensure that their team members have not only gone through their care certificates, but now they're going through their apprenticeships and they're getting that level of training so that they're robust and that their staff know things. But at the same time, you've got a balance of people out who might be working as an independent carer um, who've gone to support somebody and they're receiving payment for it, but actually they're, they don't have that network of support to ensure that they are trained and that they're working at the right level. And that's possibly where I would like to see more uh, regist registration maybe, and maybe more stringent uh, training expectations around um, the industry. I think loads of organizations are out there and they're doing a really good job. Um, but equally, I think that there is a concern that you could be an individual living at home thinking, oh, um, I might just put an ad in the local gazette and see if there's somebody available who might be able to come and support me a bit. And they starts off with sort yeah. of a bit of company and then it develops and actually that person hasn't received the training that they need to be able to do that. And at the same time, I have to mention unpaid carers because we've got loads and loads of people out there who are unpaid, who are family members looking after loved ones and they don't necessarily know how to seek support or they don't have the, the time or the capability because it's all being poured into their loved one and possibly trying to maintain their career alongside. Um, to then go and get additional training in how they should best be moving their loved, mem loved family member um, from place A to place B. They're just, they're just trying their very best to do it well and not hurt themselves or hurt the individual. Um, and I'd, I'd say that's an interesting point uh, where we could look at maybe setting up better support networks for those people to be able to get their CPD and their training. Um, and I know that there are some places out there that are doing that really well. Uh, there are some of the young carers trusts, some of the local groups are working with local hospitals, for example, to get them the moving and handling training they might require, uh, as well as things like basic first aid and even cooking skills and things like that to help them on their way. Some of that stuff sounds great. Absolutely. I think all of the formalising of qualifications is it helps professionalise what we're doing and it helps professionalize the industry that we're in and shows to people actually this is a professional industry we're working really hard to get the best outcomes we can and that's potentially where I would like to see a bit of a change yeah I mean I totally agree with you there and the unpaid carer thing is something that's really close to, to my heart and um, from my own experience supporting my mum as an unpaid carer and um, there are conversations that we have um, around my grandma's care where you've got that sort of additional barrier almost um, with unpaid carers where they've got an additional thing to overcome which is that pre-existing relationship mm -hmm. um, so for example in my mum's case sometimes it can be quite uncomfortable for my mum to 
talk about things with my grandma that might be easier if she wasn't a daughter and there wasn't that existing relationship where she was yeah. trying to explain why it's a bad idea to do some things. So yeah. the idea of specific training for unpaid carer- carers in navigating those barriers as well as where to find that help that you might find much easier if you were in a residential care setting um, I can mm-hmm. totally see why those would be really really beneficial. You also mentioned um, sort of people going into care and then them not necessarily thinking about progression for themselves or understanding the, the benefits of it for the people that was important. Um, what I've found when I've been talking to people, um, again about them being bottom of their own list, um, is that it can be quite difficult for people to talk about the things that they want to do in terms of their progression with employers. Um, have you got any tips for people who have maybe identified an interest or something that they want to do as a piece of development work um, when they're talking to their employers about sort of progression or development of their skills? I think the key for these people like that to remember is that your company definitely wants to get the best and to get more from you. And those companies should be aware that it is much easier to have a staff member who already knows your organization who's ready to develop rather than to recruit from outside which has an associated cost so if you've got a good idea of what you are thinking about and what's interesting you and you're upfront and honest with them and you say perhaps oh actually I really enjoyed the training we had recently on infection prevention control and then I was happened to go to the hospital on a visit with so-and-so and I was just thinking about how we could implement some of those things here in our workplace. I was wondering if there might be another opportunity for me to for me to take that up. And I think going to them with an, a bit of an idea, have a bit of a structure in your head as to what you'd like the outcome to be. So many homes that I go to, they have infection prevention control leads who are responsible for sort of just making sure that things are okay. Maybe they might have implemented putting up hand washing posters around the sinks. Um, it might be that somebody knows that they can go to them and go, oh, we've run out of gloves and your job is to go and get some more gloves. But at the same time, they're just there, just picking things up and saying, oh, hang on a second, what's that? Let's get that cleaned up. Um, So it's just an extra sort of pair of eyes and a bit of additional responsibility when it comes to something in the home. So I think definitely don't don't be nervous about it. Have some confidence with yourself and know that your your managers want to support you and want to get the best from you. And if they agree that that's going to be some additional training for you, then they will help that on its way. I can't imagine somebody sitting there going, no, we don't have the budget for that. I'm going to go, okay, let's take a look at the budget and let's see how we can get that to happen. Um, and might be that we put some baby steps in between to help you uh, develop there. That sounds great. Um... In terms of identifying CPD, I know that you mentioned that people, it's generally something that people might come across within their day-to-day job role where they identify, for example, an infection control lead um, and think, oh, actually, I quite fancy doing something like that or they've visited the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, How can people find out what's actually out there so that they know what direction they want their career to develop in? It's a really good question. Um, I think that there's a few things that I might consider within my organization. So I might think to myself, oh, I wonder uh, if I could see something like an organization chart and say to my supervisor, oh, I, w- I wanna be in your position in sort of five years. How do I get to be in your position? What's your journey about? Uh, how do I get to there? 
and looking at maybe, the, as I say, the organization chart and identifying somebody, oh, that's a thing. Um, but I would say also, if you're thinking about the development and qualifications, um, there are really good resources on Qual Hub, which is run by Cash and NCFE. I think there's really good um, directional resources on um, skills to care, giving you an idea of sort of different things that could be done there. Um, yeah, and I would say again, it could be that you you have a ch chat with your manager and say, look. Uh, I want to develop, I want to, to do some more learning, I want to continue with my career here in this organisation. Um, what sort of things, what sort of routes do you think are available to me um, for them to give some suggestions? Ah, oh, that makes loads of sense. Yeah. Um, and, and how do you think um, people might identify where their skills gaps are? Um, I know it, it can be quite, again, because I'm not very good at not being very good at things, it can be really difficult for me to admit that I'm struggling with something or to ask for help. Um, do you think that that's something that people struggle with in general? And do you have yes. any tips for people who might want to say, actually, I'm not very good at this and I could do with some help um, without fear of that affecting their work or their, their job role? I absolutely do think that there's there is a that is a generic issue is people not necessarily putting their head up and going hang on I think I think I need a little bit of help with this or equally realizing that they might need a little bit of help with that and that's where I think regular supervision meetings are really important with your line manager in the workplace um, I would look to to try and meet up with my manager let's say once every three months maybe more frequently if I can Lots of the big care companies we're working with have got a formalised three-month procedure now, uh, which they are happening to manage through our system as well. Um, and it's just helping them to come together with the with their manager and say, hang on a second, let's have a quick reflect. What training have I been doing recently? What's my work practice been uh, happening with recently? What things have I come across in the workplace? Is there anything I need to talk out? From, from some of the scenarios I've been coming across that could have been quite emotive for me. And then maybe we can look at my strengths and my weaknesses so that we can then look at opportunities and threats to those opportunities. And basically doing a SWOT analysis uh, to help me progress for the next three months. Great, and just for anyone who hasn't got any sort of um, business head, um, a SWOT so, analysis, is that SWOT when you're looking analysis. at strengths, so weaknesses? Strengths. <laughs> So I used it just before, my strengths, my weaknesses, and then my opportunities and my threats. So it might be that I'm saying, actually, I'm really good at uh, supporting Gladys to get up in the morning. My weakness is confidence with medication rounds. Opportunities, I've seen that there's a medication training coming up, so I'd quite like to go on that. Threat, I might need to be working that day and not be able to go on the training. That's great. And I mean, is that something that you think people could do before they go into that one-to-one -one and sort of say, actually, I know exactly what I want to do and this is how I'm going to position it to Absolutely. make sure that is received in the best Absolutely. way possible? So the best one-to-one -one, uh, practices, they should be supporting you with helping you prepare for that meeting and saying to you, could you do something along these lines? Um, taking in uh, that strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats analysis is a really, really good plan. As I say, our system can manage that for you with your manager. So they'll tell you that there's one coming up, it'll open on our system, and then you can start to record some of your thoughts and information 
on our system so that then when you go to meet with your manager, it's there saved on the computer and you don't need to worry about losing a piece of paper somewhere and the manager can pull it up and then you can record everything on the system there so that it's there for you to then reflect back on as and when you want through our app. Excellent. Um, if, if people wanted to find out sort of more about CPD in general, um, the stuff you do online and the, the information that you share, um, where can people find it so that they can have a look at some of the stuff that you're talking about and some of the topics um, that are important? Yeah, okay. yeah e-learning absolutely. So um, e-learning for you, we're pretty active on uh, social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, so it might be that you would like to, to follow us. And I think equally, that's the same with cash. And uh, on here, we'll produce things like uh, we'll maybe put up a little article and uh, then maybe provoke some discussion underneath it. Um, so it might be that we present, uh, there was an article recently in the Daily Express on uh, regulating uh, the workforce and uh, if there needs to be more looking into what the expectations are, the minimum expectations are for somebody working in health and social care and having a read of that article and then maybe thinking on what are, what are my, what's my organisation doing, what are my learning opportunities uh, is quite it's quite good, but it's very informal. You know, I've read an article and then I'm having a think about something. That's some informal learning that can happen just from an interaction with an article. I'm doing that quite regularly. Uh, my organization also subscribes to ACTAM um, and they produce uh, sort of maybe once a month, maybe once a week, it depends on what the news is, um, produces out some article information on, uh, let's say, over-medicating and gives you some information on over-medicating and what maybe the CQC are looking at with it. And reading those and taking some time to take a read of those and have a think about those things is quite important as well. Uh, it might be that you could find a live chat about a particular care topic that's of interest to you as well online, on Twitter. Uh, they quite often those sorts of live chats. You can take a look and find something there and just get involved. Um, and it might be that actually uh, you've got a YouTube channel perhaps so our youtube channel is uh, forward slash affinity training one um, and uh, on there we've got a few older videos about things like the key lines of inquiry uh, that the cqc have and what sort of things you might be thinking about down that key line of inquiry so it's an informal way of learning that gives you some pretty good knowledge there um look as well as finding informal stuff and identifying um, the different kinds of learning that are available through services like yourself or through regulated qualifications. Is there anything that you think people need to be mindful of um, in terms of their development? Um, it, it might be, for example, that they're developing because of the things they need to do for their job, um, but what about things that are actually for themselves or for their own career development or, or sort of progression? Uh, I think it's... I think it's important to um, check your sources. Um, we talk a lot about fake news um, and it could be that actually an article you've come across is, is fake. You know, we've, we've seen these sorts of things. Um, but at the same time, it could be that you are thinking of taking up a course uh, maybe in your own time through distance learning in order to get a higher qualification, in order to be able to go for a higher job role. 
and that isn't necessarily the right qualification or doesn't have the same robustness that we would that your next employer might look for um, so again yeah. I would look for those trusted sources I would use cash alumni I would use the qual hub and uh, have a little think about what uh, course you want to take in order to progress and what um, that training center is uh, promising or not promising as the case may be that, that's perfect and I, and I do think that's something that people do worry about courses that you find online might not be as robust as you'd like them to be um, yeah. and that's a really interesting point um, possibly because of my internet activity um, but over the last sort of six to eight weeks um, I've been presented with lots of social media adverts telling us that I can make millions of pounds if I just develop my own e-learning course mm. um, mm-hmm. which I promise you can't really yeah, well, otherwise, otherwise I'd retire. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have a subject specialism. I'm not a teacher. Um, I'm a careers advisor. I'm an employability advisor in my background. Um, and there's not really anything that I would consider myself to be an expert in to be able to develop a course. Um, but a lot of the stuff that these adverts sort of point me at, first that I don't need to be and that I don't actually need to know anything. I just need to know the magic marketing formula to, to make people buy my course. Mm. Um, obviously, working for an award and organisation, um, I know that that is not the case. Um, but how do people make sure that an e-learning course that they're taking is something that has a sort of real world value and, and is real it is the right knowledge and it is going to give you the things that you need to have how can they check the robustness of a course yeah it's definitely an important question to consider so i would be asking that provider for the learning objectives for that course what do they really believe the learning outcomes are what content is being covered and how might that content be presented? So could they maybe give me a sample so that I've got an idea and see if it fits with my expectations uh, and equally my learning styles? And I might also think about looking for that training provider uh, and what endorsement or accreditation they may have uh, and to see if I really, um, if if I feel that that's a robust process. So I mentioned earlier that we have NCFE endorsements and we can utilize uh, cash endorsements as well for some of our courses that are specific to uh, their sectors. Um, And therefore, if you've done your NCFE qualification, maybe uh, as your diploma, you're then thinking, oh, hang on a second. I know that brand. That's a trusted brand for me. It's very difficult to get accreditation and endorsement from NCFE and cash, I promise. I know that I was said I was lucky to have it earlier. I feel incredibly lucky and privileged to have it because we've worked very hard to ensure that we've gone through the robust processes to have our work checked um, and that our courses are current and realistic and have good learning outcomes. I would say, yeah. um, obviously, you could use, uh, use other endorsements so it, perhaps if you looked for something like the skills for care endorsement uh, they have uh, an endorsement program as well um, and they also can recommend some providers on their site too and that might be a good shout as well that's great so maybe um if you're not sure what you're doing start somewhere like the professional bodies so someone like skills for care um yeah. 
but actually what you're saying about, about looking for endorsement from an award and organisation, not necessarily mm-hmm. NCFA or cash, although obviously we're brilliant, um, brilliant. Is, is a good way to check that something is, is of a certain standard. Um, and, and from personal yeah. experience, I believe that the, the most robust, and we have worked with different AOs, the most robust that we've come to is with NCFE and CASH because I know that a subject matter expert is going to look over our courses with scrutiny and then before they give approval. So it's it's more than just checking that my organisation is going to use a subject matter expert, which some places do. That's why I keep mentioning NCFE and CASH being a great awarding body, I promise. Yeah, and, and I think um, one, one of the things with that is that all of the quality assurers are all subject specialists and they're going to come in and look at it through the eyes of someone in that subject specialism and actually know what they're talking about, which is quite nice. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's um, yeah. Um, and what about things like shadowing um, and sort of getting experience from maybe development opportunities? Yeah. Um, is that something that you would advocate um, people getting some experience at a level that was a little bit higher than the level they're at or trying out jobs um, as yeah. development opportunities? Most definitely. I know quite a few people, um, both professionally and personally, who've, who've done similar to you. It might be that they've taken a pay cut in order to go in as a sort of junior in a team to learn, let's say, a, a new skill uh, or a new specific process. Um, or it might be that they've gone to a company and said, look, this is this is where I want to work at. Uh, can you can you support me with that? Can we maybe come on in on a training program for that? Um, and I think those are really key uh, experiences as well. I think, again, worth the conversation with your manager if we're thinking of our environment and health and social care, because they might say, oh, so you're looking at, you, you've got a bit of interest with that team, then maybe we can place you with them for a little while and see how how you're settling in and then we can look at maybe changing your role when it becomes more appropriate for you uh, and you're decided or set it could be that they're doing sort of a 50 50 split um and i think that it's key to to acknowledge that that's it's not only small employers who will do that it's big big employers as well and those big employers might look to um provide they might have opportunities that you weren't aware of at the at the site down the road that you had no idea was looking for somebody of that um, skill set uh, or specific uh, role and you want to learn and develop in that role then you can go along there and, and take that role and see how that goes. Brill and I know that in your experience most employers are very open to staff development um, and it's supporting with CPD and training and um, what about those people who are listening who maybe don't feel that their employer is particularly supportive um, of them taking those opportunities or they're working in teams where there, there genuinely isn't um, the capacity to allow them to develop? Is In your experience, are those employers that aren't keen on staff development or don't sort of allow staff to, to take time or to take um, the initiative to develop in, in different directions, are they few and far between? Can people look to move and have a better experience? Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, they they are few, far and few between, and I think they'll become more far and few between if people have the confidence to go and look elsewhere for another role, because eventually those employers will not be able to continue because they won't have the staff team because they haven't received the development to be there and to remain there and to be feel invested in, and. Um, it could be that potentially you maybe go and have a conversation with another home 
and maybe go in on something like a zero hours contract to, to learn a new skill um, and run that alongside your previous role so that you then feel the confidence in your new employer before making the big leap. Um, so there are quite a few different opportunities out there, I would say. Um, and, and I know that it can be really difficult that there could have been a major change and you're suddenly looking around your setting and there are loads and loads of agency staff in, you're feeling really pressed for time and none of this ability to think about learning is present with you. Um, but there are definitely other opportunities out there. And it could be that actually three doubts down the line, you're going to get a new manager who walks in who also feels that way. Um, and I would say if you do have new management come in at a time where you're feeling uh, that you're quite pressed against it for jobs, you're really task orientated, you're trying to move from one thing to the next thing, then I would take the opportunity to, to meet with that new manager uh, and say that you're looking maybe to develop somewhat and you've got some ideas uh, that could be implemented and see what they're thinking because that's the nice thing of a change. If you if you have a change like that, to, to then embrace it and, and look for, a, for new opportunities within it. That's great. And, and you talked about zero hours contracts there and I'd never really thought about um, the, the benefits of, of something like that. Um, if you're looking for a change or looking to develop, never considered um, it as a way to explore other opportunities and other bits of training um, yeah. whilst keeping the, the safety, if you like, or the security of a contract with the employer where it's sort of a little bit better the devil, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. So if I think of my own team at the moment, I have a team member here who's working three days a week with us. We're seeing if it's working for them, working for us, and they're maintaining their other job outside of those hours. Uh, and it's working really well. No, that's, a, that's an absolutely great idea for anyone who is concerned about leaving a post, um, but actually wants to go off and do other things. Um, that, that's that's a, a really good thing for people to be able to go and explore. The last thing I usually ask um, is if you could give us some idea as to, to where people can find you. I know you told us earlier on um, how we can find you um, on YouTube, um, but is there anywhere that people can, can come and follow you and, and stay up to date? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you come onto Twitter and search eLearning for you, uh, that would be the best uh, platform probably to find us. Uh, we're also on Facebook as eLearning for you. Uh, and you can follow me personally on Twitter at Elfi underscore Talia. Fab, and how do people spell Talia? T-H-A-L-I-A. That's fab. Thanks again for your time. And thanks to you at home or on the go for joining us. Don't forget, if you've got some best practice or you'd like to share with us um, something great, um, you can get in touch with us at alumni at cash.org.uk. That's alumni, A-L-U-M-N-I, at cash, C-A-C-H-E for Echo org.uk and would love to speak to you. You can find us at the Cash Alumni website at www.cashalumni.org.uk or through the main Cash website for information about qualifications and other CPD at www.cachevecho.org.uk. Thanks very much and until next time take care.